keep calm and prosecute on. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. No, you have not lost your minds. Donald Trump was just ordered to pay $83 million for defaming a woman who he sexually assaulted, and the GOP cannot line up fast enough behind him. They cannot line up fast enough to reinstall a rapist, a man to the presidency who led a deadly insurrection, who threatens to terminate the Constitution and is facing 91 criminal counts, a man who has utterly humiliated most of them, tanked them at the ballot box, and will not think twice about utterly destroying them the second a shred of their conscience threatens his fragile ego. They really must hate themselves. I actually think they do. No, you have not lost your minds. They have lost theirs. So how do we defeat this disease of perverse sycophancy, of a cult brainwashed by a con artist and the incessant deceit of failed leaders? Stick with the truth, stick with the law, and carry on. Never be distracted or discouraged. That's what I did, and it's why I won. And I'm pretty sure it has a lot to do with my, why my guest today beat Trump, too. We're going to talk much more about that. Donald, Tr Donald Trump's prominence really has always been an illusion, an illusion of prosperity, of privilege, of power, of immunity. He never really had any of those things. Just because an emasculated political party and a tragic following has bought into this illusion doesn't mean we have to. It's time for the law to be applied fearlessly, just like it was by that jury who just rendered that $83 million verdict. And then we can stop this sad man from living his lie out on the American people and get, the, get him the criminal justice he desperately needs. It's a treat today to be joined by a fellow legal defeater of Donald Trump. He was responsible for a massive settlement against Trump as Assistant New York Attorney General and is the author of the brand new book, Taking Down Trump, 12 Rules for Prosecuting Donald Trump by Someone Who Did It Successfully. Tristan Snell, welcome to Lights On. Thanks for having me. Quite a day. Quite a day. So um, full transparency to our viewers, we recorded this a little bit early today and you and I are sitting here literally waiting for that E. Jean Carroll verdict to be read. $83 million for defaming her once again. What's your reaction to this, Tristan? Well, gosh, it's, uh, I'm happy that this, this moment has finally arrived for a variety of reasons. Uh, I thought that it would be this big uh, and I... And, uh, and it actually is, is a, it's a landmark moment for another reason, uh, because it is going to be, if this holds, I think it, look, it could get a little bit lowered on appeal. It's possible, but I don't know that it's going to happen. And I think even if it's lowered, it's not going to get lowered down to like eight. It would get lowered down to like 40 or 50 or something like that, uh, or 60. It is going to be, we can see this now almost in all likelihood, it is going to be the largest loss that he has ever suffered in any kind of litigation. Uh, and that will eclipse the $25 million that we got in the Trump University case, which has been up to now the record. And I'm very happy to hand it off and say <laughs> the record has been eclipsed. You did it. 
And and honestly, Carol, her stoicism and her bravery in handling all of this, Robbie Kaplan and her whole team have done a fantastic job on the legal. Uh, this is a, a, a well-won victory. And it, it's not over. I believe there's still other things that need to happen in this matter, but we can talk about that. Absolutely. And for you to put that in the context of your prior um, record, <laughs> that's that's amazing. I mean, yes, 25 million in itself, of course, was massive. And now it's 83 million that he's being ordered to pay. Um, as you mentioned, um, a incredible victory for E. Jean Carroll. I mean, we I think we sometimes lose sight of just the um, the human impact. Of course, this jury today did not lose sight of that. That's exactly what this this money reward was all about. Yeah. Um, this is this is a woman who suffered um, being entirely violated by a man who has been accused by over a dozen women of uh, sexual assault. Um, we should not forget that two other women who have accused Donald Trump testified under oath previously in E. Jean Carroll's cases. Um, like I was trying to bring out in the open, I mean, we started this week, Tristan, with Donald Trump winning the New Hampshire primary um, after winning in, o in Iowa. Um, I like to remind our viewers that the uh, Republican elect primary electorate does not reflect the country, so be not dismayed. No. But it is still an insane scenario where we have this man who is a rapist judge kaplan has clarified in in just in this case that his his actions constituted rape and the gop by the hundreds the congressional leaders who have been emasculated and hum humiliated by this man are falling in line one by one to endorse his presidency isn't it insane mm -hmm. ultimately we have to remember increasingly that the desire to protect men who rape is actually not a bug of the Republican Party. It is increasingly becoming a feature. A feature? <laughs> it is actually part of the point. Mm. Like that's the absolutely terrifying and just disgusting thing about all of this. It is, is but thank you it, for bringing it out. It really truly is because it's actually, it, 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 as a pattern, it is becoming difficult to ignore. Uh, and and we're going to see it. Look, we, we saw it in other things. It, it was obviously a big feature of, of the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're about to see it in what I think is going to be a house ethics bombshell that gets dropped on top of Matt Gates. Matt Gates. Yeah. Uh, and that in that case, uh, it's it's statutory rape, but it's rape. It's still that is what it's for. It's the, and it's part of it is a legally defined thing that, that having sex with an underage uh, woman is not. Uh, is 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 not legally okay. You can't do that. Where is it going to stop with these people? And part of the answer today is, look, I think 83 million is a start, but it doesn't actually undo what he did. Nothing will for her. Uh, however, it is it is something, and it is a message, and it's being delivered loud and clear that there has to be an end point to all of this insanity and the the cruelty of all of it. Uh, the, the, the illegality, the impunity with which these people act, it's gone too far. It has to stop. Amen, Tristan. And isn't that really the subject of your book? 
Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Now I got to tell you, when I when um when your publicist sent me your book and I read the title, I'm like, wait a minute, am I reading my my book or is it? <laughs> your book, of course, is called Taking Down Trump, um, and it's it's such a familiar theme to me. Um, this is literally what I have devoted the past six years of my life to once I came to my senses and realized who this man was and what I had been a part of. Um, and, you know, I've um, you talk about this this limited club of lawyers who have defeated Trump in court. And um, I never started off thinking that I was be going to be engaged in some massive legal battle. I ended up invalidating hundreds of Donald Trump's NDAs in the end, and I'm, I'm still not done. My original lawsuit's right. ongoing, but um, I'm, I'm so grateful to have you here to share your perspective because you were at the, you were at the beginning of this too. I mean, you hold, you held Trump accountable in that Trump university case. Um, before we really get into the weeds of it, I want to just get from you why you felt it was so important to put this book out now. Yeah. Yeah. So, Here's the thing. Today's a good day. Okay. For this, it's a good day for justice. It's a good day for the rule of law. However, if you really dig, you know, and, and I'm sure you know this too. If you, if you, if you talk to people, if you hear from people, if you, if you spend a lot of time talking to folks online and, and listening to what they have to say, you're, you hear so much pessimism and negativity and really cynicism about the ability of our system to hold accountable the very powerful, the very privileged. And Donald Trump typifies that more than anybody, but it's a problem overall. And people feel a deep sense of frustration and hurt and anger over this to the point of disdain and rejection for the system. And that's really problematic. And I'm not talking about MAGA here. Obviously those folks, a lot of them have rejected the system. They see everything that the justice system does as being part of the deep state. I'm talking about the pro-democracy, pro-accountability, pro-justice coalition, and that a huge chunk of us have given up hope. So a lot of what I was trying to do with this case was to say, look, there aren't a lot of other folks out there who have, have been able to, to, to win in, in situations like this. Uh, I was in the middle of all of that, and then the, the, the playbook that the New York AG's, the, the New York AG's office developed with the Trump University case is one they have now followed again in the Trump Foundation case and now in the big $370 million civil fraud case against the Trump organization that just went to trial uh, and that we're going to be getting, we're going to be getting a decision on that matter. It might be now. We might actually, I, I hope your team there, Jessica, is standing by looking for that because we might actually get a love letter from Judge Angoron today, or he may wait till next week. He promised it by the end of the month. And that will be his math as to how much he thinks Donald Trump needs to pay for those misdeeds. Mm -hmm. So that playbook has been developed. I wanted to share it with everybody and not just for lawyers, but, all, but for everyone and for us as right. citizens, what can we do to, we have a role to play in this system. We, we actually can make Absolutely. some of this change happen. So that it was to give people hope and a guide to what to do at a moment and in a year in which I think we're all gonna need some life rafts to cling to because this is gonna be, today's a good day. We're gonna have other days that are bad days coming up. This is going to be an absolutely crazy year and I was hoping to give everybody something uh, to, to, to work with and to lean on 
in, in a crazy year and give us some hope, but based in reality. Well, thank you for that. I mean, what I read of the book, and I mentioned to you when we started, I had a crazy legal deadline this week. So I got through about a third of it, but I really, really enjoyed what I've read so far. Um, by the way, the team is great, so I'm sure they'll they'll inform us of any breaking developments with um, with Angoron. Yeah, I'm waiting, Judge Angoron. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, Jeremy and Adam are stellar stellar yeah. back there in the in the production side. Um, but you, what you're saying about you know people being disillusioned with the legal system and discouraged is something that resonate so much with me. And I'm going to be really honest. I've, I've kind of only started speaking about this recently, Tristan, because mm-hmm. the, my case has been so shadowed. It hasn't really been covered. You know, people talk about people who have beat Trump and, and in the mainstream media, my name is never mentioned. And part of why this has been so hurtful to me, not let's take away, you know, the personal feelings. And there's that too, is because I understand exactly what you're saying, Mm. that the public needs hope. They need faith in this, in our judicial system. And I have actually been beating Donald. We had, I had my first major victory against this NDA in 2021. It was before any of these major prosecutions had been brought against Trump. I had a message then that I very much wanted to share with the public about Donald Trump being beatable, about the need to use the law to, as you said, we have a role in this. We are not bystanders to to use the law to go after him and that that is how we will save ourselves from all of these threats that he poses to our democracy by actually just enforcing the law that we have and that it works, that our justice yeah. system when employed does work. Um, you know, one of the themes I picked up on in your book was how much public pressure actually does matter to prosecutors. They're right. they're listening to the narrative that's out there. They need that. They're people too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a yeah, that's a big part of that's really one of the driving themes in the first third of the book. So yeah, it's broken out into twelve rules and then into three parts to sort of structure it. The first part is about leadership, and really the key with the leadership part is how do we bring about leaders with the courage to go forward against a target like Trump, where he's right. going to counterattack you. He's going to make life miserable for you. It's going to be a slog. It's going to take years to actually win. Uh, what do you do? And this also does apply to private litigants like Carol as well and their legal teams. Uh, so how do you actually, but especially when we're talking about the prosecutors, how do we actually make that happen? Uh, and I'm not talking about like, oh, let's go find a way to bring some case against him that doesn't have any merit. This is saying, look, you've got credible evidence to start with. But you either need to keep digging and you need to have the courage to green light that or you've got a mountain of evidence. And now you've got to have the courage to say, we're going to indict. We're going to bring this case. We're actually going to go try to recover that money for those victims. Uh, And what does that look like? The real keys to us. And I I talked about this also in in an op ed I did in time the other day is that. uh, The keys are, look, if you look at the Manhattan D.A. situation with Alvin Bragg. Uh, and you look at the uh, January 6th committee, uh, and I talk about these at greater length in the book as well. Those are two, I think, very good case studies on what it looks like when you have a prosecutor's office that that doesn't want to start prosecuting something, and then a lot of public pressure that comes in to say, uh, yes, you will. 
you are going to get to the bottom of this because that is what we the people want. Uh, whether that is an elected prosecutor like Bragg or it is an unelected prosecutor, namely Merrick Garland uh, and the top brass at DOJ, where I think they were hesitant and somewhat understandably so to, to go after the, the leaders of the J6 conspiracy, because it really is a conspiracy or sort of web of conspiracies. Um, at first, they just went after the low hanging fruit. They went after the foot soldiers. They went after the people who actually went and assaulted the cops and smashed the Capitol to bits uh, and defaced it and, 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 and desecrated one of our national treasures uh, and, and, and stopped Congress from meeting. Let's not forget, they actually did in fact delay the vote that day. We, all, we have to remember that they did actually achieve their goal in part. They, they wanted to delay it by weeks or, or, or a week or so so that that election would get thrown to the House of Representatives. They failed at that, but they did delay it by a day. They succeeded. They stopped yeah. the United States Congress from meeting and carrying out its constitutional duties. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, we do have a role to play in all of this as citizens. Yeah. And whether that's on social media or in petition drives uh, or in, in any way, shape or form that we can, we do make a difference in doing these things and we need to keep on uh, making a difference in being a constituency for justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you talk a lot about how the January 6th committee moved public opinion, which is something I bring up all the time. You need, I mean, one thing that my lawyer, one of my lawyers on my team likes to say is Donald Trump was a master of narratives, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is how, I mean, it, the NDA is a prime example of how he tried to control the narrative using this mm -hmm. illegal lever to silence mm -hmm. people, um, to keep truth from coming forward. Um, but he's, <laughs> like I said, that narrative is just an illusion. You can pierce through it by replacing yeah. it with the truthful narrative um, and being more, being as repetitive and incessant and determined and yes. relentless in your re repetition and pursuit of truth as he is in his pursuit of lies. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And the key with a lot of the rest of the book is about that, that repetition, that just daily grind, mm -hmm. uh, and also staying very disciplined and stoic in your approach as you keep on pushing the case forward because you're, he's going to try to distract you, delay you, destroy your reputation, create diversions, and you can't let any of that get in the way because he's going to do that. And you've got, and then another one of the rules in the book is about being able to say, look, even though you're filing your case, that's great, but you better make it friendly for the media and for the public. You actually have to craft a narrative. You've got to be a really good storyteller and you've got to do it concisely and you've got to have, uh, you, it has to do with emotion. You have to put heart into it because you've got to be able to convince people because he's going to try to expand the scope of the conflict. Yeah, That's going to be one of his main moves. One of his, one of his main playbook moves is to play the crowd because a lot of times when he's losing, in, he's going to lose in the law. He's losing in the court, so he's going to play to the crowd. And by the way, none of this is unique to him per se. Uh, a lot of it, was actually used by uh, by folks like John Gotti in the mafia. Uh, you know, this is like 30, 40 years ago, back in the 80s and 90s. But it has a but it has a single ancestor in a lot of ways, namely Roy Cohn, who was Roy Trump's Cohn, exactly. old attorney back in the 70s and 80s, and also was an attorney for a lot of the five families in the mafia here in New York City. 
Uh, and that playing to the crowd is a big part of it, trying to influence the paper's coverage, influence TV coverage, uh, possibly sway members of the jury into being charmed or intimidated or both. Uh, it's a big part of it. So as the prosecutor or the plaintiff, you've got to make sure that your narrative gets out there first, as you were saying, A, you have to get it out there first, and B, you have to get it out there repeatedly, consistently, so that it's a better and more accepted narrative than the one that he came up with. And just come up with a better one. Tell a better story. Make people yeah. feel it more. And the know? thing and is, the, the truth is a better story. Like we have, usually, like I feel like, the truth is an amazing story. That's that's part of, I think, his tool of discouragement and what you were saying about not losing hope is that he's gotten so many people to to think that the truth has no power anymore. That's true. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the first that's the first lie. So if we don't don't buy into the first lie, the rest of it, you know, we're on a clear path to victory by just understanding that truth is a winner. Truth um, is a winner when well edited. <laughs> that would be I would that'd be what I would say. Sometimes you see that, and, and, and the, the thing is, like winning cases, you've got to just like keep it very tight and narrow. And you can see cases that just go all over the place where there just isn't a clear narrative, right. and and, and that wild. often can make the difference between between victory and defeat. There, uh, and I think a lot of these cases that are going on right now are doing an excellent job of yeah. making sure that what they're stating is. You need to have these court docs. Ideally, they should be clear enough that even if yeah. we all just go download them on a news website, that we can pick it up. We don't need to understand. We don't need to have gone to law school. We don't need to understand the jargon. If these cases that are filed against him are too dense and too full of legalese, that is a problem. Also, it's always good to have like a section up front that just says the whole thing in three pages. Yeah, I think a lot of you what a lot of us that. have... What a lot of us have learned from digesting um, at least these prosecutions of Donald Trump is I think these prosecutors have um, been following that playbook, have been writing yeah. these indictments for public consumption. They have been. They're you very digestible. They're, they're, the narrative is very clear. Um, and speaking of, you know, the plaintiffs and the prosecutors making the case to the jury in terms that they can understand, um, one of the statements that stood out to me from E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Sean Crowley, in his closing statements was, um, he said, Trump believes he gets to lie. He gets to threaten. He gets to ignore a jury verdict. He gets to defy the law and the rules of the courtroom. You saw how he behaved through this trial. Rules don't apply to Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't a campaign rally. It's not a press event. It's a court of law and Miss Carroll's life. Donald Trump sexually assaulted her. He defamed her. He's the victim. Um, they very clearly took back that narrative, told them what this is about, understood, you know, what I think is so vital for people to understand is, you know, put yourself in the position of having convict, uh, committed a fraction of the crimes that Donald Trump was committed how would you be treated? How would somebody in your family or somebody that you know be treated for, for committing a fraction of the crimes or um, civil violations that he's committed? You wouldn't be above the law. Uh, no, you know, just stealing, we've seen this, right? Is uh, I'm trying, I think reality winner, one document. Yeah. One, one classified, where's my finger? One classified document. <laughs> that's, all, that, that's all it was. And prison sentence, done, right. gone. You yeah. know, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes in his freaking bathroom, unsecured, things strewn out all over the carpet, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, he's asked to give them back. He says, oh, we gave them all back. Then the FBI comes in and it's like, no, you didn't give them all back. Why are they all still here? And he's just still walking free. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Just, yeah, I mean, that, that one case alone, that is where you yeah. can see the starkest difference between those two things. But it, it happened even with the Carroll case just now, because the things that, they, that, that, that Trump and Haba did to violate Judge Kaplan's orders would have gotten them, you know, he warned her today. He warned, a Kaplan warned Alina Haba today that, he, that she was headed for lock-in. Yeah, she might be locked up for she, defying she might, his instructions. lock-up. Yeah. In any other case, she already would have been. And, yeah. and maybe the defendant too. Like it's, it, like, it's still, they're treating him with kid gloves. He gets his own set of rules. It needs to stop. What I just tweeted that I think that Kaplan needs to lock this down and and make sure that with the verdict that justice is fully served. There's two other things that need to happen. One is that they need to fine them for those violations of the court orders, which he's right. fully within his rights to do, and he should. And second is that he should issue an, an injunction. He, he should issue an injunction. That he is he had, that is part of his judicial powers. He has his equitable powers to be able to craft such injunctive relief, even if the, even if it's not asked for, and even if the jury doesn't uh, provide it in its verdict, he has the mm -hmm. power to do this and he should exercise it. He should be issuing a permanent injunction on Donald Trump from ever making any disparaging comments about Carol ever, ever again. He needs to keep his, he needs to keep her name out of his mouth forever. And, yeah. and I think that needs to happen. And I'm going to keep beating that drum because I just don't understand why that, again, I feel like that would probably happen when you have a situation where he raped her and then he defamed her and defamed her and defamed her and defamed her and defamed her and, defamed her and it still is not stopping. He's probably out on the, the, he's probably in that courthouse right now defaming her again. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Or he'll, or he'll get on or posting social, about it. Exactly. Or he'll post about it on Truth Social and he'll defame her again. Yep. So when does That's it stop? Yeah, and ex and how do you stop it? What is the purpose of the of the justice system? Deterrence, right. you know, right? That is the purpose of punitive measures to stop right. people from engaging in their illegal activity again and again. Right. So uh, it's a you know, Tristan, when you say they treat them with kid gloves, I mean the viewers of Lights On know this is a as a drum that I beat incessantly because I think that it's wrong. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I, I know your book is a book for prosecutors, but I hope that those themes, um, we can apply them to judges, too, because I think judges are people, too. They're obviously feeling a lot of pressure. They um, he he threatens uh, he threatens them very outright. But mm -hmm. they this is a time for them to um, act with courage, with solemnity to their duty, to their oaths. Yeah. Um, to treat him, as you said, the same as he would they would treat any other defendant in a civil or criminal case. And if that means putting him behind bars, for God's sakes, this man should be behind bars already. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. The, the contempt of court is a, is, a, is, a, is a measure that judges use to make sure that, they're, that the rules are followed. It's the rules everybody else has to follow. Everybody has to play by the same rules. That's the bedrock principle of the rule of law in our justice system. The Supreme Court, as corrupted as, as it has become, still has carved on its edifice equal justice under law. But, but you, we need to actually start giving that thought some teeth. It's not just a fancy idea. We actually have to mean it. And if it means that he actually has, if it means that he or his lawyer have to spend a night in lockup 
just like anybody else would for uh, disrespecting the court and violating court orders, then you need to do it. It doesn't matter what his status is. His yeah. status, by the way, is private citizen of the United States of America. He, he, there's no, the only thing, he gets two things, really three. He gets three things by being a former president. He gets a Secret Service detail, fine. He gets a pension, which he really shouldn't have, but fine. Uh, and then he gets, and then he he gets funding for a presidential library, which, by the way, I mean, it's it's just hilarious when you think about it. It's just like, where is that? <laughs> we haven't even heard about I, that. You know what I've said? Written their memoir and had their presidential library yeah. started. He's never going to have one. Of course not. He doesn't. He doesn't read. Why yeah. would he do a library? Well, a long time ago, Tristan, I said I think his his presidential library is going to be called the Obstruction of Justice Library. <laughs> It's just yeah, going to be a playbook you know, on how to avoid accountability. I mean, that's base. I mean, it's effectively the, you know, the, the, the negative of what I wrote, right? It, like, exactly. we, like, you know, and I'll probably be writing about that more explicitly soon. Let's tease out. There's no point in the book. And I actually kind of wish I had done this. That I laid out like, what's the Trump playbook look like? Like, let's actually lay it out. Uh, and I will do that at some point. But yeah, I think that um, now it's actually... It's not that long of a. It's not book worthy in my in my opinion because it's really just only a couple of things. Well, it's pretty um, obvious too. It's so, it's, it's so obvious. out there. We all we all know what it is at this point. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. not it's not mysterious. It's not smart. It's just obnoxious at this point, right? It, it's mostly delayed. It's mostly delay, distract, destroy. Exactly. And that's pretty much that, that. That's what I've sort of come to and what I've been what yeah. I've been saying lately. Uh, but yeah, it's having to fight back against that takes, I think, more thought and more work. Uh, and also because we can't, we being folks who want to see these things happen, we can't also act with impunity. We can't act with ruthlessness and recklessness and just a la and unscrupulousness. Right. So it's, it, you know, having to do it the right way, it, it, you know, it probably takes more work, but it's worth it. But you got that. That's why I think our our playbook is a little bit more dense than than their playbook. Uh, but that's fine. I'll take it that's as long fun. as we follow it and we start to have the and we have the follow through to actually make these things happen. And I think I think we're there. The momentum is there. These cases are winning. And I think that I think it's going to be a very 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 bad year for Donald Trump legally. Twenty twenty three was bad. Twenty twenty three. 2024 is going to be immeasurably devastating. worse. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Tristan, I, I want to, yeah. I, no, I want to pick up on, yeah. I mean, a cup, so many things that you just said. I also want to get some really amazing anecdotes that I don't think we should lose sight of from your book, from the excerpts I read um, after this quick break. Great. The things we build are worth protecting. Making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust and Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $159. If you go to trustandwill.com slash lights, you can get 10% off plus free document shipping. I know it may seem like a daunting task, but the Trust and Will website is very simple to use and the process is straightforward. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your specific needs. With Trust and Will, you can ensure your family and loved ones avoid lengthy, expensive legal proceedings or the state deciding what happens to your assets and store all of your estate documents in one place with bank-level encryption. 
Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish, and there's live customer support available through phone, chat, and email. Their service has earned Trust and Will an overall rating of excellent and thousands of five-star reviews from Trustpilot. So secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash lights. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash lights. So Tristan, on the theme of, um, you know, prosecutors being people, judges being people, as you were talking and talking about, you know, put them in jail for a night or two, I was thinking about how when Alvin Bragg kind of broke those floodgates by being the first prosecutor to indict, it was just kind of a windfall of indictment, indictment, indictment. And, 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 you know, it's almost like they needed that. They needed that encouragement and permission. (laughs) And then it just, it came, it came one after another. I feel like if a judge who will be the first judge, who will be the hero in this case to have the courage to, um, you know, lay down those consequences, consequences to put him behind bars for either violating his conditions of bail or violating an injunction that's issued or violating a gag order that's in place. Um, Once one judge does that, it will kind of start giving permission for others to follow suit, don't you think? I think it could. I think the fact that that would be such a big step I do think is it's it. Yeah. I do think that there's a hesitation to go out on a limb there. Um, And I think that what they're trying to do there is they also just want to, they don't want to create any issues that could then be raised on appeal. So they're trying to not do anything to him. They're basically calling all close calls are being called his way. All of them. That's, that's really what's going on right now. And Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can see the merit in that, but I also believe that past a certain point, you can't just keep letting him get away with everything. The, 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 yeah. the amount of disrespect to the courts that he's been exhibiting has just been awful. And there's even little things that they could have done better. Like, you know, when, when they did the New York AG civil fraud case, the fact that they were letting him do his pressers inside, just outside the courthouse because it's winter and it's cold, that's insane. You do them outside on the courthouse steps like everybody else. Nobody else gets to do, go gets to set up their presser inside like yeah. that. They're just giving him all sorts of special treatment. And, I, and look, maybe it was a secret service thing. They just didn't want him like lingering out there uh, in front of a plaza, whatever. I, maybe that's it. I don't know if that's it. Fine. Maybe we have to yield to that consideration. But the point stands like we just need to stop giving him his own set of rules just because he demands it. It's insane. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that uh, civil fraud trial, and we mentioned our, our stellar producers working in the background here, Jeremy gave us some news that um, has not otherwise been widely reported. It's from about, about an hour ago, so maybe a couple hours mm-hmm. once the show airs. But um, an independent monitor was uh, appointed to um, tell the civil trial judge if there were any inconsistencies. And she reported today that there are incomplete and, quote, inconsistent disclosures with, quote, errors in Trump, the Trump org's financial information. Um, so that's news that was just delivered to Angoran today, and I'm sure will factor into his decision on how much Trump has to pay in that case. Yeah, look, the key there is going to be, it's the sheer quantity 
of brazen fraud and illegality that he has exhibited there, not just in that case, though, but also in his other business dealings with the Trump University case, the Trump Foundation case. Uh, we forget about the Manhattan DA conviction of the Trump Organization for tax fraud for executive mm -hmm. compensation that also mm -hmm. uh, that also managed to encompass uh, Alan, Weisselberg, Alan Weisselberg, the, company, the mm -hmm. company's former CFO. And now then the decade plus long pattern of deception, fraud, misrepresentation that we have unearthed now in this civil fraud case. All of this adds up to because really, we're, we're, there's going to be a big award given in mm -hmm. terms of money that he has to pay to the state. That's a given. And we all have to remember that also, like in the Carroll case, in this case, he already lost, right? Because Judge Ingoron issued summary judgment months ago. Then we had a trial to determine the math. Now we're about to find out Judge Ingoron's math. Then it's going to go up on appeal. But the biggest thing here is there's going to be money that's going to be paid. I don't believe that the, any appellate court's going to overturn that judgment. Mm -hmm. I, and, I don't, and I don't think that they're going to say Trump pays zero. They're going to come up with some number. It may be less than Ingoron orders or it, might be this, or it might be the same. Then the real question is going to be, Judge Ingoron has already said that Trump should have these businesses' corporate charters be canceled and that they should be put into receivership. It's the same thing that happens when a company goes into bankruptcy. It gets stripped from its ownership and given to the receiver, which is a court-appointed third party that manages the company and usually liquidates it, sells it off. Okay, that's going to be the question here. Every single bit of Trump's fraud and illegality, including that other, he violated a court order, took $40 million out of the Trump organization, used it to pay personal expenses. Every single thing that he has done on this with regard to business fraud in the state of New York is going to come back to haunt him here, I believe, and be part of how the, the cancellation of the corporate charters should be upheld. That's going to be the big thing that we're going to see on appeal in the New York State appellate courts within the next year or so. Literally putting him out of business in New yes. York. Yes. Which, yeah, which that is, is his what the claim law is there for. That is yep. what the law is there for. If you are a repeat offender, you know, we used to say three strikes and you're out was the, you know, the, the tough on crime criminal laws back in like the 90s and whatnot. This is like 18 strikes and you're out. Like yeah. he's been out, 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 like all yeah. the strikes. He's speaking of, and he's still in business. How speaking of strikes, speaking of strikes, Tristan, I mean, you brought up a story in your book that I never forget about because it is like the one where I thought this was the opportunity for, for prosecutors to get Donald Trump out of our lives years before he ran for the presidency and they failed and it's Trump Soho. I mean, you want to talk, you, yeah, talk about financial fraud and misrepresenting valuations of assets. Um, that was a case where Donald Trump, Ivanka and Don Jr. should have all been criminally charged with they fraud. Should, been, should they yeah. not have? Yes, they should. They, yeah, they should have all been rung up at that point. And back then there was this thing called shame, and there was this thing called being disqualified for having the appearance of, uh, of illegality impropriety. and impropriety. And, and if, yeah, if Donald Trump had had that hung on him uh, with, a, with, a, with a criminal conviction for him and his kids. Uh, now, I will say it might not have applied to him. They might not have actually charged him. But Don Jr. and Ivanka were done, by the way. And that still would have had an impact on a whole lot of things. 
but they were, they were, they had lots of evidence on yeah. the two of them. And so what that case was about, uh, and I encourage everybody to go read about it, was the Manhattan DA's office was, had plenty of evidence to show that they knowingly and intentionally misrepresented the occupancy rate of this building. They were selling condos in this Trump Soho building and they were running around saying that, oh yeah, 35% of them have been sold, 40% of them have been sold, 55, 60% of them had been sold. The real number was 16%. So think about it. You don't want to buy into a building where nobody's buying the units because it shows that demand is soft and you're not going to be able to resell it very easily. Right. They were running around being like, yeah, the buildings, the units are selling like hotcakes. There's hardly any of them left. Making the people feel like, oh, you know what? There's hot demand for these condos. I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to flip it and I'm going to make a bunch of money. So selling that illusion, right? Selling the illusion. So yeah. that was definitely fraud. And they had emails showing that they knew because yes. it was Don Jr. and Ivanka who actually do use email. And instead, what happened was there were some interestingly timed donations mm -hmm. to my Manhattan DA Cy Vance's reelection campaign mm -hmm. uh, and an interestingly timed meeting with Trump's lawyers and suddenly a very interestingly timed decision not to charge them, even though the attorneys working the case had said that it should be charged. But you can read all about it in the, in the book, and I encourage you to go look into it, everybody, because it's a fascinating example of how, yes, the powerful and privileged and wealthy use their money and their connections to rig the system and evade any justice or accountability, even when they clearly commit felonies, when they clearly break the law. It happens all the flipping time. We often only find yeah. out the dirty details after the fact or never right. at all. But it yeah. does happen. We are right to be frustrated and angry and pessimistic about that. There's a darn good reason. Trump used those techniques for 40 years yeah. to stay out of trouble up until 2013 when we brought our case against him. And it's yeah. been downhill for him ever since, thankfully. Thankfully. Yeah, I, I was so, two things. One, I was so grateful to read your account of the Trump Soho affair because it reiterated what common sense was telling me. And I have read, you know, I've read extensively into that and I've read some pieces that tried to justify Cy Vance's behavior and like, oh no, there were other holes in the investigation and, you know, it I fell apart know. because all these, all these, you know, silly justifications for not bringing charges. And I read yours and it, it just honed me back in on, no, it's simple. The truth is simple. Of my, my eyes are not lying to me. This was a case that should have been prosecuted and it was not. <laughs> Think it through for yourself, you know, look, yeah, at, exactly. look at everything. We don't know for sure. You can't, you know, we can't completely draw perfect conclusions here, but that, you know, I just say the, it, it's interesting timing. And what I do that I think that I think is hopefully helpful is I put it in the broader context of all of the times that Trump made interestingly timed donations or promises of donations right around the same time that the prosecutor in question made something disappear. Yeah. So go, you can go look at all of this and, and, and see for yourself. See but for in yourself. My view, in my view, I think that he did a very interesting job of making some of these things disappear for a very, very long time. Yeah. 
Well, one, the other thing I wanted to pick up on from what you had just said a minute ago is, is how it seems that the powerful get away with things that the powerful are held to a different so-called powerful. I always like to put that in quotes because I don't think it's real power. Money isn't real power and worldly prestige isn't real power. Real power comes from courage and truth and integrity. That's what gives you real power. Um, but the so-called powerful, um, you know, appearing to skate when it comes to violating the law. Um, I think, Tristan, that this exercise that we're living through as a country in this moment in history is actually such a um, it's such a an, an opportunity to revive what the justice system can do and can stand for. That it, when we're holding, if we are successful in actually holding this former president who has flouted legal standards for his whole life, if we actually hold him accountable, what a hopeful um, you know, signal that is to what our justice system is capable of. That Absolutely. we, that we yeah. can hold everyone to the same standard. Yeah. All right. So... Anyway, Tristan, it's it's been great to have you here and um, get your insight on prosecuting Trump um, and sharing this this uh, similar experience we have and bringing this man down. It can be done. Definitely can be done and hoping to sort of, again, share the playbook and the roadmap for everybody on how it can be done and what role we all have to play in making that happen, because I don't think we would be here with these cases if it weren't for the public pressure that was placed on some of these prosecutors to actually get to the bottom of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a reminder, um, the proceeds from Tristan's book are going to pro-democracy nonprofits. So yeah. a very, um, very worthy, worthy uh, purchase to, to check out Taking Down Trump, Tristan Snell's new book. Thank you, Tristan, for joining us today on Lights On. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. Um, as I mentioned um, in the open, we have just we're living in this alternative um, reality, not really living in it, but um, some in the media would have us believing that we're living in this alternative reality where this uh, multiple multiple time criminal indicted uh, man is leading the Republican Party and this is normal or this is OK. Um, not only is he leading the Republican pack and having people line up behind him, but he is apparently calling the shots, literally calling the shots in Congress. Um, I think we all knew this was going to happen when the House Republicans took control uh, of the House back in 2022, that they wouldn't be really calling the shots, that they would be led by the MAGA extremists. Um, that rot has now reached even to the Senate, where, of course, they don't control the chamber, but um, Democrats have been engaged in very good faith negotiations um, to try to get a border deal in conjunction with Ukraine funding passed, um, making concessions that they normally wouldn't make to get this vitally needed funding on Ukraine um, through a very reticent um, GOP that does not want to support Ukraine at all. And um, of course, Donald Trump is constantly um, using the border as his campaign issue. He uses it as a fear mongering tactic. He uses it to try to um, blame the Biden administration. And just on the verge of a border deal for the for 
funding for the border that, like I said, was had concessions from Democrats that they would not usually give in conjunction with funding from Ukraine. It appears that Donald Trump has literally derailed the process. He's calling the shots. Listen to this clip of Mitt Romney, Romney um, calling out how egregious what is going on is. Do you think this is what he wants? the issue, Donald Trump, this is what he's doing. Oh, I, I, think, I think the border is a very important issue for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. But the, but the reality is that, that uh, we have a crisis at the border. The American people are suffering as a result of uh, what's happening at the border. Uh, and someone running for president ought to try and get the, uh, you know, the problem solved as opposed to saying, hey, save that problem. Don't solve it. Uh, let me take credit for solving it later. And Mitch McConnell is uh, kowtowing to his demands and letting him run the show. Um, utterly disingenuous, bad faith on the part of the Republicans. They are constantly, constantly um, railing about the crisis at the border. Here is an offer from Democrats in good faith to to um, implement some of these security de demands that supposedly will help ease the situation. And what do they do? They reject it. Why? Because it would give Biden a win because they do not want to help Biden. These people do not care about the welfare of American citizens suffering from our border crisis. They don't care about the plight of migrants. Obviously, as we know, this is a humanitarian crisis. Um, they don't care about anyone about except their own political futures, their own political security and staying in power. And if they can do something to help their dear leader who cares about nothing, who is a nihilist and only wants to get elected again to be, <laughs> be a dictator of this country, they will do it. Um, look, look at their motives and, and their behavior. Um, one other thing that I want to share before we go, I don't often like to play Donald Trump on this show, but um, I think it's really important that we listen to what he says. He is telling us in plain sight what he plans for this country. Um, a Trump 2.0 would be dictatorship, would be the end of American democracy. Um, he's saying it in plain language and anyone anyone defending him should be called out for lining up against, for the end of the American democracy and in support of authoritarianism in America. Here's just a clip from a video he put out this week. Fifth, we will launch a major crackdown on government leakers who collude with the fake news to deliberately weave false narratives and to subvert our government and our democracy. When possible, we will press criminal charges Sixth, we will make every inspector general's office independent and physically separated from the departments they oversee so they do not become the protectors of the deep state. Seventh, I will ask Congress to establish an independent auditing system to continually monitor our intelligence agencies to ensure they are not spying on our citizens or running disinformation campaigns against the American people or that they are not spying on someone's campaign like they spied on my campaign. All right, you've heard enough. Um, this is extremely dangerous. As, as I um, always say, and as you know, I lived this. I lived his retribution on 
people that he think perceives as his critics. These critics are often people who, like I tragically was, um, were at one time a supporter. Um, this is a man who will turn on those who are most supposedly loyal to him right now when he sees fit. He will turn on the very supporters that are sending him donations right now when it no longer becomes convenient for him to protect their interests. When their interests stop aligning with his, they will be thrown under the bus, they will be prosecuted, they will be have, in the case of the media, have their licenses taken away from them and all the media that to this day thinks that Donald Trump is good for business, they're gonna want, see their licenses revoked um, if Donald Trump gets put back in office. Um, everything that he talks about, about um, rooting out corruption, of course, of course is a gaslit uh, pronunciation that he will actually prosecute those doing ethical work, those working against corruption, not deep state actors who are against the American people, but public servants who are doing the work of the American people free from politics. He will inject politics into that process. And if you're not in line with that, you will be out. Um, it is it is extremely dangerous. And um, to treat him in any context as a normal political candidate in these times with what is in plain sight and out of his mouth as his plans for this country is a dangerous, dangerous endeavor. We will not do it here. Um, thank you everybody for joining us this week on Lights On. As always, if you would like to support my continuing legal fight against Donald Trump in the New York Supreme Court, you can do that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate thejessicadenson.com slash donate. I beat Trump and I am definitely committed to continuing that trend. Um, let us all do it together. Thank you everybody for as always supporting the show, for commenting, for liking, for subscribing to my YouTube page at Jessica Denson, where I post clips from this show and uh, other content and always give you the um, lights on playlist in case you're having a hard time finding it elsewhere. You can always find the lights on playlist at my YouTube page, Jessica Denson. You can also support this show if you enjoy it. And we would love if you can do that by going over to wherever you get your audio podcasts and search for Lights On with Jessica Denson. Subscribe there. And if you're so inclined, um, we would love you to leave a comment there as well. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, as always, have a wonderful weekend and let your light shine. <laughs>